Thank you, Greg. Well, it appears I left for 90 days and wasn't fired. Thank you. Now, it's a joy to come back. Uh, what a gift for you guys to give it me, our family, the sabbatical. It really was a joy. You'll be hearing about some of that over the last several months, uh, but it was a gift. I was talking with uh, Mike Davis on Monday, and he said, it must be bittersweet to be back. It's all sweet. It really is. It's a joy to return to a place that I love, the people I love, and uh, what a privilege it is to teach God's Word. Um, just a couple of things I wanted to say. Just, we got to jump to a few continents, drive through a bunch of states, and one of the, joy, one of the greatest joys was to see God is on the move. Right? He is alive. He is being worshipped. He's being preached. It was so encouraging to hear other uh, godly churches serving their communities. Um, a book many years ago by Francis Schaeffer was, There Are No Little People and There Are No Little Places. Right? Jesus is blessed when we take a cup of cold water and give it to someone in his name. And so God just loves when we do little things in his name. Because there's nothing little done in Jesus' name because Jesus is big. And he takes those little things, and there's these ripple effects, not just for days, but weeks, for eternity. And so what a great work we have in front of us today, just to give a cup of cold water to someone in Jesus' name. Let me pray to this big God one more time, and we'll dig in. Lord, you are so good, and your love endures forever. There are no little people, there are no little places where the sovereign God does not choose to meet, and to move, and to bless, and to serve, and to renew. Thank you that you've touched my heart. Thank you that you've touched this church family. Thank you that you move in our city and are drawing people to yourself. And pray that even today you would draw someone to trust you for the first time or draw someone back to you who's never quite uh, found what they were looking for in the world that's only found in the one true God. So bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So this summer... My family, we were walking into the Kings Island Amusement Park in Cincinnati, Ohio, right? So you wait in the line, you get through the gates, right? And then you come, and right inside there, there's this huge pool with these these fountains shooting. You can see maybe in the background, they have this little miniature Eiffel Tower. And you're just kind of, you're just really blessed by that, like kind of this awestruck experience in this amusement park. So that's why we stopped and took a picture. But then, at that very spot, we took our kids and we said, hey, if you get lost today, come back here. This is the spot that if we get lost in the park or come here, we'll come find you. Retrace your steps. You'll remember this place. Come here. And why? Why would we have that conversation? Well, because every parent has experienced that terrorizing fear of, where's my kid? One time we lost Charity at a county fair. Don't worry, we found her safely with the guy who was chainsawing images in a tent. (laughs) She was okay. (laughs) But being lost is scary. Right? In a crowd, it's even worse. You're confused. Well, we live in a very confusing world. And it's crowded, and there's so many voices, 
And so what I'd like to do coming back from this 90 days away, this is about, I want to come back, I want, to, I want us to retrace our steps. I want to go back to the beginning. We need to kind of orient ourselves on the things that are most true, most profound. And for the Christian, you're going to find this in Genesis, right? This, this is the first words God wants his people to hear so that we have a sense of where we are, who we are, and what's next. So that's where we're going. We're going to be in Genesis. We'll be in Genesis for three weeks. Now, when I say Genesis, maybe there's some here today that are like, Genesis? For truth? Isn't that just like a, the, the, the Judeo-Christian version of fairy tales? Is it like folklore? I mean, seriously, floods, arcs, gigant, giants called the Nephilim? We're going to find help there? Can I submit to you that for 3,000 years... God's people have seen this book as ancient wisdom. Now, with all the, 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 the fresh problems of you know, 2022, we're tempted to turn to new morality or the next progressive thoughts. But can I submit to you that new morality and the most progressive thought hasn't been as helpful as the ancient wisdom of Scripture? You might not agree with me, but maybe just come and read with me what this is saying, what it wants us to know is true and how to live in response to it. And see it that if we align ourselves to what God is saying, if there isn't more blessing, if there isn't more hope, I have one kind of main idea. And I'm getting this main idea. Just think about the first recipients of this book. Do you guys know who the first recipients were of the book of Genesis? There's a bunch of ex-slaves that had just spent generations under the tyrannical rule of an Egyptian pharaoh. And I'd like to say that they did well seeking God in those days, but if you read your Old Testament, they weren't. They were worshiping the very idols and gods of Egypt that had them subjected. And so when Moses has now delivered these people out of Egypt through the Red Sea and they're wandering in the wilderness, they need a new identity. You are not a slave anymore. You are a son and daughter of Israel. You're no longer going to make bricks to build Pharaoh's houses. You're going to make your own houses and your own cities. And you're going to be my people. And you're not just to to experience the blessing in Israel. He's actually, I want to bless you so that you're a blessing to the world. And what we're going to see in Genesis 1 and throughout all of the Bible, main idea of the whole Bible is you, it starts with this. You had to bow before your creator. Don't bow before Egyptians' gods. Don't bow before the gods of these Canaanites and Hittites and Hivites that we're going to run into in the promised land. You need to know the one true creator who just ripped you out of Pharaoh's chains and has set you free. Bow to him and bow to no one else. Three points to this main idea. Bow before your creator because he's powerful and wise. Then we're going to see bow before your creator for his order and bounty. And then at the end, we're going to say bow before your creator as his steward. Point number one, bow before your creator because he's powerful and wise. First two verses in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now, Christian theologians, Jewish theologians, they use this uh, Latin expression, ex nihilo. That means out of nothing, God created everything. Everything you can see with the naked eye and everything you can't see. God created it. Before time, before creation, before atoms, before amoebas, before bacteria, God. And then everything that you see. So behind this vast universe is this God of immense power and wisdom. Um, there's a, been a whole movement in science the last 40, 50 years, the intelligent design movement. And some people among the intelligent design movement, uh, they didn't even believe in God until they marveled at the universe and as they looked at a cell and they said, surely there is an intelligent designer of great power and wisdom to make such a world. He's mighty. He's powerful. Now, admittedly, if you go out and you pick up you know, your, you know, your um, fifth grade science textbook, you might read a, maybe a, a counter message of the creation of the world. Uh, but I would encourage you, this is the challenge, go pick up 17 of these fifth grade science books. They actually all say different things. Right? Did this world come about through dark matter or anti-gravity? Right? Was it a cosmic implosion or a cosmic explosion? Are we just the lucky lottery winner of the multiverse? It's interesting. That was Stephen Hawking's final great physicist, bright mind. He had actually two or three different views of the universe. And in the end, it was multiverse, then he died. But even in one person, he had his own theories, and it wasn't singular. And those science textbooks are not singular. And into the void of this, we read it in the scriptures, God created the heavens and earth. Sometimes people say, Matt, do you believe in the Big Bang? I say, sort of, but if there is a Big Bang, there has to be a big banger. Bang, the world, it's immense, it's amazing. A couple of just principles behind that. (laughs) If God created the universe, the universe is not about you. Say that to the person sitting beside you. The universe is not about you. Some of you need to hear that twice today. But one of the joys of knowing that the universe is not about you is that the universe is not on your shoulders. It's on God's shoulders. And he's the only one strong enough to carry the universe, but also your soul. And so my invitation is, will you bow before the creator who is immensely powerful and wise? Because you're not that powerful. And you're not that wise. And if you think you are, ask your sibling. But he is. And whether you look at this, uh, the, the, the finest aspect of a, of a cell or you take a telescope and you look at Saturn's rings, there's a God. And he's powerful. And he is wise. But that's not all. The text goes on to say he's not just powerful and wise. We should bow before our creator. We should, you should bow before your creator for his order and his bounty. I mean, as you read through verses 3 all the way to the end of chapter 1, 
you see God ordering things just right, right? If you read, some scientists will tell you, you know, if we're only a few more inches closer to the sun, we all burn up. It's not just a sunburn, it's all gone, right? But he's ordered everything. He's got light and moon and stars. He's got land and he's got, he's got waters. And, but when you start getting to why did all this happen, you start seeing here in verse 20, chapter 1, it says, after he kind of gets everything in place, water, land, uh, the solar system, he said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, right? God blessed the fish and the birds. And he says, be fruitful, multiply. And it says, fill the waters in the seas. People spend tens of thousands of dollars to to fly to tropical places to go snorkeling in the water to see the swarming fish that God said, I want you to see the bounty of the sea. Go to the Great Barrier Reef. See that everything in there is designed for bounty and life and plants and you know, it's beautiful. It says on verse 24, it says, Now let, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Yes, bugs are God's fault. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw it and he said, this is good. So it's ordered, but it's bountiful. It's abounding with life. I mean, just think about like the ecosystem of a soil. We, we lost one of our dear members this spring, Kara Case. She was like a soil expert. She actually came over and she dug dirt up in our yard and put it on this little slide in our back porch and said, kids, let's look. And we looked in there and they're like, whoa, that's, that's what happens with chicken feces. All these little things dancing around under the microscope. But like just the ecosystem of soil, the, the different kind of nutrients and minerals and the different bugs and the, the little you know, microscopic organisms, all those things work together so that when you plant a tomato plant, a few months later you eat tomatoes. Right? The, the, the world that God has made, the ecosystems, the solar systems, it's for bounty. It's for richness. It's for vibrancy. And this is why, uh, you know, when I encountered some of the biggest challenges to my faith in college, one of the first arguments that was thrown out, and it's still a good argument, but it was the argument, you know, Matt, if there's a God and he's so powerful and he's so good, why is there so much suffering? Like, why is it, man? If he's so good, shouldn't he stop it? Maybe he's too weak. And that still strikes me as a pretty challenging argument, I think. But I take a step back and I say, wait. If this world is so meaningless, if this world just came about by random chance, why is it so good? Why does chocolate taste so good? Why is friendship so sweet? Why does the bite of an apple 
on a spring day. It's just like, woo, it's good. It, it's, we live in this world of bounty and goodness. I mean, we really have an option walking out of church this morning. We can be either Eeyore or Tigger. Those of you unfamiliar with the stories of Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore is a donkey who has it pretty good. He lives in the wood. It's beautiful, wonderful wood, and he has friends, but he keeps losing his tail, and all of the life, life is over. All he can see is the suffering and the sorrows of the world. He doesn't see the bounty. He just sees the little loss. And then there's Tigger, literally bouncing around the wood. Why? Because things are good. I don't want to downplay the suffering that you might be going through or the pain and the sorrow. I, I don't, that's not my point here. But what I want you to do is to challenge you that when you go out today, though this world has been stained by sin and sorrow and sickness, it hasn't won. It is still a good, bountiful, beautiful world by an intelligent designer God who says, see this, bow before me, and maybe bounce, bounce with joy. Let's move on. I want you to bow before your creator because he's powerful and wise. Bow before your creator because of the order and the bounty. But third, we should bow before our creator because we are his stewards. Uh, Look with me at verse 26. And by the way, if you read through Genesis 1, it's marvelously written literature. Moses was a master of the pen. And he is, in these early days, he has d- described this beautiful work of creation from the stars to the suns to the, to the fish and the birds and the animals. But there's almost like a pause in heaven before 26. And the, and the language changes just a little bit to draw your attention. And, and God says, let us make mankind in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Jump with me to chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now notice this this pause happens and, and God says, he's speaking either like the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit talking. Maybe he's talking to some angelic divine council. Maybe it's just the royal we. Either way, it's different language. I want to make man special. I know the platypus is pretty cool, but we're going to make man in our image. There's going to be a stamping of of divine divinity on us. We're not divine, but there's a stamp. There's a mark. There's this uniqueness. It could be our intelligence. It could be the soul. It could be the immortality. But this human is unique and has been endowed with some certain abilities. Not given to the cheetah. 
not given to the paper wasp. You, human, male and female, made of image, you will now rule over it all. Tame the beasts. Learn how to pull iron out of the earth and build things. Sit down with one another and learn how to build civilizations and governments. Be my stewards. Get to work. Now notice before, he says get to work, but then the first thing he has him do on the seventh day is rest. So we're workers, but we're also worshipers. Right? We're, we're made to work, but we're made to worship. And so I love that God creates everything, says get to work, and he says, oh wait, but not yet, pause. Sit back and marvel at creation. Rest with me. Fill, feel the bounty of the earth, my sovereignty, my goodness. Let's rest and wonder. The world is complete. The world is good. Let's take it all in. We are to work and we are to worship because we are his stewards. Now, speaking of stewards, um, Karen and I had the privilege of going to England this summer and we went and took a, a selfie outside of Buckingham Palace. Sorry, I didn't have that picture for you. Now, some of you might know that Queen Elizabeth II has been the head of state of England for a very long time. But as the head of state of England, she has this vast array of servants and stewards. And one of the highest servants is her private secretary. Does anybody know who the private secretary is of Queen Elizabeth II? Good, because I didn't either. This is who it is. Check out this title. He is Right Honored Sir Edward Young, Knight Commander of the Royal Victorian Order. There he is. Now that's a title. You know what my dad called me when I was like eight? Hey, boy. That's all I got. This guy, the right honored Sir Edward Young, Knight Commander of the Victorian Order. He's just the private secretary of the Queen, make, sends out her dispatches, does all the work. But here's the thing. With that fancy title, he has no power except that which has been given from him by Queen Elizabeth II. That title can be gone in a second. That power can be gone in a second. When we read how God made humanity, when he set Adam and Eve in place, you are my, you know, you are the first Lord and you are the first lady of this earth. I have made you to rule and subdue, but you are under me. Do as I do, act as I say. This is who you are. I wonder, like, did you wake up this morning sensitive to the fact that you are, you are created in God's image and under his authority? Did you wake up as a man or woman, boy or girl, saying, I am under the authority of God. Lord, what am I to do as your steward today? That's how God made us. And yet it didn't last, did it? It didn't last. I mean, come back in two weeks. We're going to be in Genesis 3. That first Lord and that first lady, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against this God of order and bounty, of power and wisdom. They had children who killed each other. And their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren have just kept killing each other. 
God started with chaos and gave order and bounty, and we're, we are choosing chaos and disorder. This world is just full of yuck. The creation and the creatures that God made to live under him just reject him and rebel against him. But something changed. Something changed in history. And we read about it, and we pick up the New Testament. And we read that the creator God said, I need to save them. And the way the creator God came to save them is he became a man. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And if there's any doubts to whether Jesus was the creator, look at what he did. He spoke and things happened, just like the God of Genesis chapter 1. Jesus spoke and the waves and the storm went silent. Jesus wanted to go on a walk on the water, and he did. Water to wine, illness made whole. But also as creator, you see him use his power to show that he also has the power to judge. And so he says to a fig tree, be withered and go, and it's gone. Because he is creator, which means he is judge. But guess what happened to Jesus? The creation just put their full force of rebellion against him. Satan, the archangel, stirs into the mind and the heart of Judas to betray Jesus into other human hands. But then what did they use to kill Jesus? Things from his created world. You think about that? That whip made from the very products made on the fourth day. The iron and the plants so they can whip and lacerate his back. That purple cloak made from the wool of either sheep or goats dyed in some special uh, dye made from this crushing of snails so that they could put this robe on a lacerated back of a man and then rip it off. The crown of thorns from the thorns of the trees made on the fourth day jabbed into his head crossbeam of wood made by the very trees made by the creator God. Lifted up on a cross, given him the wine made from the grapes designed by the ordered mind of God. And then the, the creatures that God made in his image, they're scorning him and mocking him, saying, you saved others. Like, we saw your great deeds of salvation for others. Why aren't you saving yourself? And the air that God made in the atmosphere, it says finally, Jesus breathes his last. He bows his head. And at that moment, darkness goes over the, the whole land. Remember God said that there be light, there was light. When God said there needs to be darkness for the creation to mourn over the death of my son, so be it. And it goes dark. I don't want to make you sad because this is what I want you to know. God planned that whole, the whole operation. He was sovereignly over the death of his own son. He worked for this to happen. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
we did not bow before the creator, so guess what? The creator came and bowed before us. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give myself as a ransom for many. We didn't bow, so he bowed. We didn't yield, so he yielded. We didn't submit, so Jesus submitted. And all of that is to melt the heart of his rebellious stewards. Like it's supposed to pierce us. He loved me that much when I was that wicked. I went totally against how my creator wanted and so my creator came and died for me and lived for me. It really is your choice. Will you yield? Will you follow? The choice is yours. The choice is mine. I'll leave you with that. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we worship you as the great creator God. Thank you for just this beautiful world you have given us, the breath in our lungs. We do grieve over the sin and the sorrows of this world. We're thankful that Jesus has come to right the wrongs. We long for the day when Jesus returns and everything is made right. Until then, help us to press on in faith. Draw us to you. Forgive us of our sin. If someone needs to bow the knee for the first time to their creator, pray that that would happen now. Talk to someone afterwards. But some of us need to come back and confess our unsubmissive heart and our unyielded ways. I pray that you would receive us in your love. There should be no doubt in our hearts about how much God loves us, for he has sent his son. Thank you that we can rest in God's love. In Jesus' name, amen.